Welcome. We were, uh, welcome, welcome to day two, if you're counting by days, actually, or day three, if you're counting by when we started. It's up to you. We were having a debate earlier. So welcome to day two or day three, whichever one you would like, whichever side you'd like to be on, you can pick a side because it doesn't matter. It's one of those things that doesn't matter. Hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, If you're standing, why don't you have a seat? Welcome to Team Church again. We're here. We're making room. We're putting things to the side so we can make room for more. And I believe that what God is going to do today is going to speak to our hearts. Our theme for this year's conference, you've heard it, we've talked about it, the unshakable kingdom. And I want to spend my time today talking about the unshakable gospel. The unshakable gospel. Now, we're just going to dive in because I only have so much time and uh, I want to get to as much as I can today and, and take you on Uh, A bit of a journey that I've been on, several of us have been on, Uh, maybe even I could say most of us have been on. Uh, I've been on this journey for the majority of my life, but I feel like I've been, it's been under a microscope in my journey in the last 18 months. And, uh, and for, for good reason, for good cause. But I am more convinced than ever that the gospel that I adhere to and that most of us in this room adhere to is unshakable. And I want to talk about that today. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians. And this is Paul writing to the early church in Corinth. He says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Can everyone say that? Just say first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, I'm, I'd like to think of myself as an amateur Greek speaker. Okay, reader, maybe. I can't read the characters of the letters. I, I look it up when I'm researching something like this, but as far as I can tell, first importance in, in Greek is in protas. And it, when I was reading it, one of, one of the commentaries I read is it's, the, it's really the, the only place where those two Greek words are put together, in protas. Usually when somebody's talking about first of all or the first thing, it's something of significance, they, they just used the protas. But here, Paul used in protoss, to to make it of chief importance, of chief significance, the first of the firsts, if you will. So if Paul is telling the early church that this gospel, that Jesus died according to the scriptures for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised, this gospel is meant to be of chief importance, first of the firsts. And we believe that God, the Holy Spirit, was speaking to Paul that this is not only a word for the church in Corinth, but God was speaking to Paul then so that we could be spoken to now and be reminded 
that this gospel is of chief importance. If this gospel is the Bible's first thing, if this gospel is God's first thing, I think we can agree it should be our first thing as well. And right now in our world, as we've heard during this conference, there's all kinds of beliefs. There's all kinds of worldviews. There's all kinds of things to, uh, you know, sort of snuggle up next to and call yours and, you know, make your value system. And I'm here to remind us today that this gospel, this is God's first thing. And it should be our first thing as well. It's of first importance. Putting the gospel first. Uh, when I was in school, I, I went to Western Washington University and I learned about all kinds of things. I was in all kinds of classes. I took classes on, you know, had to learn about feminism, had to learn about groupthink and team dynamics and you know, studied, I got my business degree, so I studied a lot of business classes, a lot of team management, some communications, had my one public relations class that I've used more than any of my other classes, I think, in my entire college career. Just that one PR class has helped so much. You don't know you're signing up for public relations when you sign up for ministry, but you are. <laughs> but you are. I even took two semesters of Chinese determined I was going to learn Chinese to get that six-figure job right after I graduated from college in the business world. Became uh, my basketball scholarship that was paying for my school or learning Chinese. So I gracefully bowed out of my Chinese classes and I continued my basketball scholarship. I, we learned all kinds of stuff, right? And even in the last... <clears throat> few years since I've been out of college, I've been learning things and been researching things and in all kinds of conversations, but it always comes back to the superiority of the gospel. The truth of the gospel, the strength of the gospel. Not just any gospel, this gospel. Putting this in first place. And in the last 18 months, being on this journey that so many of us have been on, where we've been living in a world that has been drawing lines and separating people, I have been so proud to be a part of something bigger than myself that draws circles instead of lines and includes people. The world that we live in has been drawing lines and separating people and causing division, and we are a part of this gospel that is drawing circles, and it includes everyone, and it invites everyone to the table. This is what we are a part of. So through this journey, I've learned that the gospel is sufficient. We could say the gospel is enough. The gospel is more than enough, really. The gospel is adequate, meaning that you can't add. You don't need to add anything to it. You don't need to take anything away from it. The gospel is sufficient. It can stand on its own. The truth in it can handle your questions. 
Something that seems contradictory at first, when you dig deeper, when you ask more questions, when you look at it, when you zoom out from that one little tunnel vision statement, or there's two statements side by side that you're like, how can God be full of mercy and full of wrath? The Bible can handle that. The Bible is sufficient. The gospel is sufficient. It can handle our questions. What is the gospel? Again, my, my amateur Greek scholarship, it's very amateur, but this gospel word, it's a compound Greek word of, I, I believe you, call, you say it euangelion. You can look it up, and I, I could be wrong, but euangelion, and it's this, it's this compound word that, that brings us, meaning the good news. Now you've heard this. You've heard the gospel. You've heard it. It's the good news. It makes me ask myself, well, the good news about what? What's this good news about? And so when, we, when we're talking about this euangelion and, and this idea, I, I want to be able to talk about how I want to be loyal to the gospel. As pastors and as staff teams and as leaders, being able to stand up for the gospel and put it at such a high level so that we're so loyal to it that when other things, that new thing that comes and tries to usurp the gospel in our life, that we're so loyal to the gospel that we see if I give my loyalty to that new thing, I'm gonna be disloyal to the gospel. And when we do that, if we attempt to elevate other things, we take what Jesus died for and we minimize it to be of lesser value. Growing up, playing sports, now seeing my kids, my boys play sports, I've, I've come to recognize, to learn that the greatest coaches and the greatest teams, they have a habit of focusing on the fundamentals. The greatest coaches, they know that if they focus their team on the fundamentals, and they refocus on those fundamentals often, the individuals on their team will get stronger. And as a byproduct, their team also gets stronger. Even playing at the collegiate level, it's one of the highest levels that many athletes will play at if they don't go on to pro sports. And even at the collegiate level, every season, when we came back from the off season, we went through weeks and sometimes months, depending on how hard the girls worked in the off season, of fundamentals. Drill after drill after drill after drill. What do you mean I have to dribble up the court with my left hand with these goggles on so I can't see what I'm doing? What, I am 21 years old. I have been playing basketball for 11 years of my 21-year-old life. What do you mean I have to do this fundamental drill again? It can seem monotonous. It can seem... Why? Why do I have to do this again? 
But the greatest teams know and the greatest coaches know when you make a habit of focusing on the fundamentals, the individuals get stronger and as a byproduct, the team gets stronger. Just like playing sports in, in our faith, in our leadership. Your, your team could be your staff team. It could be your volunteer team. It could be your family. Your team could be your family. But just like playing sports in our faith walk, when we make a habit of focusing on the fundamentals of our faith, we get stronger as an individual. And when we're all doing that together in that team, our team, as a byproduct of the individuals getting stronger in their fundamentals, the team gets stronger. So we're gonna, in the rest of my time today, and I got a little bit ahead of myself because I was so excited to get there, but the rest of my time today, we're gonna talk about some fundamentals of our faith. And we're gonna look at what the gospel is, what the gospel is not, and what we should do about the gospel. I know many of the things that we're gonna talk about today are fundamental. And it's on purpose. Because we're talking about the unshakable kingdom. And in order to be a part of a winning team, we need to make a habit of going back to the fundamentals of our faith, like knowing without a shadow of a doubt, what is this gospel that's supposed to be in first place, the first of first? How do I know what the gospel is? And it's important to know what the gospel is not. And what should we do with the gospel? Now, obviously, this could be an entire course, a 10-week course, or a whole semester's worth or more of content. So this is, this is scratching the surface of our fundamentals, but we're going to take some time. We're going to focus on the fundamentals so that we can get stronger as individuals today. And as a byproduct, your team is going to get stronger as well. So what the gospel is, and this is where that Greek word is, euangelion, the good news. And we ask ourselves the good news about what? It was strategically used to present the gospel, not as bad news or mediocre news, or maybe you should know about it news, but good news. This good news is that anyone has access to eternal life through Jesus. Anyone. That Jesus died on the cross for everyone who would believe and repent. To have access to eternal life. That is your elevator pitch of what the gospel is. Something a little bit more formal that I found, what the gospel is. It's the sovereign God sent his son Jesus to be the perfect and full payment for the sin of mankind. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we, you and I, anyone, we can enter back into relationship with God through faith and repentance to experience eternal life. This is the gospel. By faith, and repentance alone, in Christ alone. It's all we have to do to accept this free gift. You can look at the Apostles' Creed to go deeper. 
This is, this is a great sentence or two to get in your spirit. What is the gospel? Let's take a, a look at a couple examples in the Bible. Romans 3, 22, this 23 and 24 is the uh, verse of the day on your Bible app if you didn't notice already today. Romans 3, we just, the Holy Spirit and I, we're just, we're buds, you know? <laughs> this righteousness, which, you know, I've learned is right standing with God. This right standing with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned. Everyone say all. all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all, everyone say all. all. All are justified just as if I'd never sinned. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He took our place, the place that we were meant to be. The sacrifice that Jesus made was the sacrifice that we were gonna be called on for, the IOU that we were responsible for. Jesus redeemed in our place. Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions in our sin, it is by grace you have been saved. So this is the gospel. I, I wrote this down that Jesus, Jesus didn't just come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. This is the fundamentals of our faith. Jesus didn't just come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. This is good news. This is what we are a part of. We were dead in our sin, and Christ died for us. There isn't any better news than that. Why wouldn't we want to stand up for the gospel? Why wouldn't we want to champion this good news? Why wouldn't we want to be loyal to it? Why wouldn't we want to educate ourselves? Why wouldn't we want to research? Why wouldn't we want to defend? Why wouldn't we want to speak up for this gospel? The gospel that we love, that we, we get access to. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that Jesus did for us on our behalf. This is the gospel. It's good news. Everyone say good news. God's glorious answer to sin was Jesus. Jesus was the full payment for our sin so that everyone could be invited to the free gift of salvation. Our world has been drawing lines and separating people, but this gospel is for everyone who would say yes to Jesus and repent of their sins. We are all equal in the redemptive power of God. So let's talk about what the gospel is not. 
just the fundamentals of our faith. The gospel is not a list of demands of how to keep or how to earn, for that matter, your salvation. If you've been seeing these lists of demands on social media of how to earn your salvation or keep your salvation, that ain't the Bible. That ain't gospel. I don't care if there's a Bible verse attached to it. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not works-based righteousness. The gospel is not judgmental. Any and all are welcome to the family of God. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. It doesn't matter if you're married or single or young or old, if you're a parent or not a parent. It doesn't matter. Everyone, anyone, and everyone is welcome into the family of God. If someone says that Christians are judgmental, maybe they're not really a Christian. I don't know. They're going to have to work out their salvation. If there's Christians who are judgmental, they need to work out their salvation with God. I can't judge them. But the gospel is not meant to be judgmental. The gospel... The gospel is also not white supremacy, liberation theology, or activist theology. The gospel is not Marxism. The gospel is not critical theories. For example, you've probably heard critical race theory by this point. The gospel is not being woke. It's not. So many things I, I want to say. I'm trying to use my, the fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> self-control right now. I read this quote. Um, the only people who want to change the gospel are the ones who are unchanged by it. <laughs> the only people who want to change the gospel are the ones who are unchanged by it. The gospel is not any of these things or anything that is like it. The gospel is not that. And this is why I'm so thankful for the gospel, the actual gospel. If we take a minute just to think about the, the then and now, It's good for us to, to remember, to remind ourselves that when Paul is writing the, the letters that so much of the New Testament is made up of, and any of the, really, the apostles and disciples and prophets, whoever was helping to build and champion the, the local church with the early church movement, these letters that we read in the New Testament were sent to real people and real churches in that sort of first century-ish time after Jesus, when he was real life on the planet, like a real person. People are asking if, if this like has really happened or if it's mythology. He was a real person who came to the planet, died a horrible, 
tragic, ugly death on the cross and was buried in a tomb and, and rose again. Real life. And these, these apostles, and, and Paul included, he, they're writing these real letters to these real people who are trying to build real churches within a real Roman empire. And so these churches are trying to form within a, a, a myriad of people that are converging in cities like Rome. It was the trade center of the world in that time. So people from all over the known world would come there to Rome. And even places like Ephesus and, and Corinth and these, these books of the Bible were real letters to real people who were in the middle of a culture this culture hardly had a moral code. Things that I found were idolatry, killing babies, corruption, sexual immorality. All of these were norm in the culture. There's so many parallels to the world that we live in today. Everyone is offended by everything except actual sin. It wouldn't be too hard to use our imagination to consider the culture that these real church builders were living in, in the early church movement. And so they get these letters, these Paul's letters to the churches in Rome and Ephesus and Galatia and Corinth. It was about emphasizing the true gospel so that these church leaders could, could disciple and teach these new converts to the gospel. And they wouldn't get caught up in debating on the non-essentials like who was circumcised or not. Who was observing the Sabbath? Who should eat kosher or not? Or separating people into groups. Well, okay, in, our, in the Roman church, we've got people from Rome. So you guys sit over in this section. And we've got people from the African continent. You guys sit over here. And we've got other people from Asia Minor. You guys sit over here. Okay, you guys are, you guys are poor. You guys sit, you know, you guys sit over somewhere over there. You know, and you guys have the, you guys have the wealth. So you guys sit right here. The culture was labeling people and separating people based on economic status and skin color and background. Not much different. And so Paul's letters to these churches, these real people, is highlighting the power and the unifying power of the gospel. He was reminding these churches and these new converts and these church leaders the hope of our salvation. That we all sin. White people sin. Yes. And black people sin. And brown people sin. 
and people from North America and South America and Asia and Europe and Africa. And if anyone lives in Antarctica and Australia, everyone sins. Everyone, it's our humanity. And Paul is writing to these real people in these real churches, in this real culture. And he's saying, remember the gospel. Put it in first place. Why? Because it's the great equalizer. That we were all dead in our sin. And Jesus came, not to just make bad men good, but to make dead men and women live. This is the gospel. Dr. Gerald Sitzer, he wrote a book, uh, Resilient Faith. We read it with our staff last summer. And this quote, Jesus didn't come to dismantle the political system. He came to dismantle our hearts. He could have conquered Rome. He didn't. This gospel, this, this good news, it has the power to save people. It has, has the power to change people. And it has the power for, for people to live forever in heaven. So what should we do with it? What should we do with this gospel? We'll keep it the first thing. It's a fundamental it hasn't been the first thing. If you felt pressured to read the critical race theory canon of 16 official books that we all could probably list from our social media accounts, if you've been putting those first, come back. If you're choosing, if you're gonna choose, if you have to choose one or the other, Choose to, if you're going to choose to put your time in reading the books that the world's telling you to read, or you have to choose between that or reading your Bible, or reading about some of those same topics but from a biblical worldview, if you have to choose between the two, read your Bible. Read about those topics from a biblical worldview. Not because we can't handle the research, but if you have to choose, put the gospel first. I have a few friends that work in the baking industry and they, they teach their tellers to not worry about studying all the counterfeit bills. They study the real authentic bill. They know it inside and out. Why? Because the counterfeit's always changing. They're always trying to make it look a little bit more real make you believe it a little bit more. And so like sometimes the mark's up here, but sometimes it's down here. And sometimes the truth is in this corner. And sometimes the truth is in this corner. And sometimes they make you turn this way. These tellers, they, they study the real thing, the authentic thing. If you've got to choose between reading what the world tells you to read or reading your Bible or reading it from a biblical worldview, come back. Keep it the first thing. Keep this gospel the first thing. We read 1 Corinthians, it says first importance. 
in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness. You know what God's kingdom is? The kingdom of God, it's God's way of doing things. That's what the kingdom of God is in your elevator pitch. It's God's way of doing things. And he tells us in his word that this gospel is to be of first importance, first of the first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. C.S. Lewis, gotta keep moving. C.S. Lewis has an essay about first and second things and the premise, some of you may have read it, the premise is that if we try to make a second thing a first thing, we try to substitute. Okay, I want this first thing, but I want this second thing, so I'm gonna move the second thing to the first spot. If we do that, we actually end up losing not only the actual first thing, but also the second thing as well. He says this, you get second things only by putting first things first. Isn't that good? This, with that in mind, I, uh, I was reading another book by uh, Dr. Thaddeus Williams, and he said, without the gospel first, we become graceless in our truth-telling, cheerless in our giving, and our neighborly love turns into self-righteous showmanship. Likewise, when the gospel isn't the first thing, social justice becomes something else entirely. Keep it the first thing, and then you'll get the second things too. What should we do with this gospel? Tell everyone. Tell everyone. Mark 16, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Romans 1, 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, everyone who believes. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, rather join with me in the suffering for the gospel. It's not gonna be easy, but it's gonna be worth it. This chart, this chart is uh, sheer believing in God without a doubt. And it shows us the silent generation sort of had this slightly downtrending. The, the boomers were kind of, you know, neutral line. The Gen Xers had this slightly uptick. Hey, Gen X. We, uh, I got my foot there, my foot in the millennials. So like, now I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer because they got a good one on the chart. But, you know, next time I might be a millennial. All right, so millennials were like this downtrend. Look at this Gen Z. This is 2018. Chair believing in God without a doubt. It's sobering to look at. But I'm believing that with church leaders and people who love the local church, start putting the gospel in first place. Start coming back to the fundamentals of our faith that will open up the floodgates and teach people and teach our young people how to share the gospel without a doubt. The first century Christians risked their lives to preach the gospel, why? Because they weren't obsessed with being liked by culture. There was a foundation and unity around Christ and his mission. They were okay with being hated by culture. We gotta get our swag back, church. 
We gotta get our, our fundamentals right so that we can, we can go through the defense and we can make that basket when we need to at the most. We need to come in clutch now, church. We gotta get those fundamentals right so that when the pressure's on, we don't make a turnover, we don't lose the ball. We got our handles on right so that we can get to where we need to go. We can score the bucket, whether it's ourselves or getting an assist, getting to the teammate. Whatever we gotta do, we gotta get our swag back. We gotta tell everyone. The last one, and I'll, I'll, I'll end here, the what should we do with the gospel? Live out God's best. These are fundamentals of our faith. And there's so much that can be said, and, and my prayer is that we just, we put it first, come back. It's powerful, it can change lives, it can save people. And I, I found this, this this morning, and uh, it's not, it, I didn't get it to the team, uh, but it's just from Philippians 127. I'll leave you with, with this. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Then, whether I, I come see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together So I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. This, this is our chance to stand up for the gospel that we believe in that we give our lives for, and we can do it together in the name of Jesus, amen.